This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time, and we are at Core Brain Journal today. Going to have a very interesting topic. I mean, I know I say this all the time, but D, I'm terribly interested in all these topics. But this one is so referential to what we do every day. It doesn't matter whether you're a mother at home with your family. It doesn't matter whether you're a corporate executive. It doesn't matter if you're a psychoanalyst sitting around in your office listening to free associations. Wherever you are, you are in a team or you're not in a team. If you're not in a team, you are lonely and you need to give me a call and we'll set up a counseling session, okay? (laughs) But if you accept the fact that you're on a team, then this is the guy that's going to talk to you. Jeffrey Davidson has been exploring the boundaries of world-class teams for over 20 years. We're going to talk about teams. Jeffrey, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Chuck, I loved your introduction. And I love if you're not in a team, you're lonely and give you a call. I may be sending some people your way soon. <laughs> a little side job was actually I do psychiatry, right? So the issue for me in this whole thing is really getting an opportunity to speak to people like you and have it share with our audience. We got a very smart audience out there. If they're listening to neuroscience, they want to grow themselves, their families, their company. And that's what happens here. So let me just say a few words from our sponsor. We'll get going. So Core Brain Journal is sponsored by Great Plains Laboratory. They are deep international biomedical testing leaders for improved targeted mind science details. Here at Core Brain Journal, we are into the details. As both laboratory and, get this, webinar global thought leaders, they provide the most comprehensive set of hard data measurement tools for real biomedical answers beyond maybes and guesswork. They also provide multiple training webinars underlined with exclamation points, training webinars for both the public and medical providers on how to use their data effectively. Check out their website for references. And here's a really cool thing that they're doing with us. We really appreciate them supporting our work here. They are offering our listeners every week, they have a new complimentary test drawing. There are eight different tests that they have from GPL tox, GPL mycotox for molds, organic acid tests, IgG food. There are really hundreds of dollars worth of testing. They're going to give a free one away every week. So what you do is you put in the drawing and we'll see what happens, whether you can get a free test. And that's what they're doing. So if you want to know where to go on that, that's Great Plains Laboratory, just phonetically, just the way it's spelled, the way it sounds. GreatPlainsLaboratory.com forward slash CBJ for Core Brain Journal, CBJ. So with that, let me introduce Jeffrey Davidson to you. Now, I said this to you already, folks. He's been exploring the boundaries of world-class teams for over 20 years. He is a team-focused guy, my friends. And when you talk about team building, the very parallel, almost parenthetical thing directly tied up with it is leadership and building a high-performance culture. As a recognized expert in strengthening leaders and building teams, he has worked with hundreds of teams, taught thousands of employees, and consulted with multiple 
Fortune 100 companies. He is an engaging, thought-provoking speaker. He's got a great sense of humor. I can tell you just talking to him briefly before he got started, as well as a <laughs> dynamic presenter. And I'm glad that he laughs in the right places, folks. <laughs> so Jeffrey speaks at conferences across the United States and Canada. Audiences love his interactive, high-energy talks that include humor and, the important part, real-life stories of success with people who get it after they had a brush with failure. Jeffrey's goal is really basic. He wants you personally to be outstanding, and he wants your team to uh, function at even a higher level than they were. So with that, Jeffrey, let's get started and talk about how did you ever get into the team business? Where did you get started? What were you doing that put you, that took you down that path? For me, it actually started way back as a youngster. I was reading Machiavelli when I was 14, uh -huh. and I was teaching leadership at the college level while I was still in college, partnering with the dean of students. And I thought that all my studying made me a great leader. And what happened as I got out into the real world and I started leading teams and eventually became the president of a company, reading and studying does not make a leader. It's good to have some ideas in your head, but you've got to go out there and practice these things. You've got to go out there and try them. Boy, that is so true. I And speaking, you know, I'm a guy who was a psychoanalyst. I mean, I had, I won't tell you the number of years I had in formal training and got myself into hospital psychiatry. And it was 52 pickup. I can tell you that because the whole understanding of what to do. And uh, anyway, but go ahead. So we're looking yeah. forward to hearing it. Yeah. So you must have so, had a transformational moment there somewhere along the line where you like, the lights went on. Well, it did. The first light that went on is I wasn't a good leader. So I left it and went into consulting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was the first light. Then I had a client, he became a friend and he said, will you build a team of analysts for me? And I'm like, sure, I can train him. I can get him up to speed. I can make them work together. And then he hired me to be the director. And I got to tell you that team taught me how to lead. Mm -hmm. I would love to say that all oh, my books were true. And there's a lot of truth in them. But the truth is, Jeffrey needed people to show him, and it was through the interactions we had on a regular basis. I did a few things right. They did a bunch more things right. They would tell me when I was going off track. And that interaction between a well, just a group that really operated well together, and myself taught me how to be a leader. Mm -hmm. And as I've gone on since then, I went back into consulting, and I started working with these high-performance teams and what I discovered is I had a whole bunch of secrets that other people didn't know. So I was invited <laughs> on to all the dysfunctional teams so yeah, I could right. help make them better. <laughs> and after a number of years, I'm like, you know what? Let's try to go out there and share it some more. And so that's what my mission is now. Let's share this learning I was blessed with. That's going to be so interesting because I am going to ask you some questions after the break about some of the difficulties you had with the most dysfunctional teams. Because really, the answers that are going to be in that are going to be, they're going to be helpful for all of us because anybody who's been in a leadership position has had some really difficult awakening moments when you actually see what you can do and when you see what you can't do and how you're going to decide what you can do. And also, that's going to be very interesting. So with that team that you had, did you guys actually approach it from a perspective of efficiency, communication? What was the grid that you began to actually communicate with in terms of how you could hang things on the wall? It started out simple. And what we wanted to do was we knew that we wanted to build a great team. Kind of what the director, the vice president over me said, you know what, Jeffrey, I want this team to be so good that if the company were to fold, 
that you guys only need a shingle and a salesperson and you could open up your own shop. That's a great attitude. That is a great attitude. So that gave us an arcing framework of, it really is. And then after that, I got all the freedom I wanted. He said, this is your goal. What's it going to take? And I said, well, when I hire someone new, I want to have them. I said, a month. knowing mm-hmm. I want a month with no assignments till I can just train them. And he goes, that's unreasonable. And I'm thinking, of course it is, but you got to ask for the moon. And he would give me one or two weeks <laughs> so I could really indoctrinate the people into the team. And it started with, you know, when we had this mission of how do we be great? How do we make a difference with the mission of the organization? And then it was find outstanding people. And there were times I would spend 40% of my work week trying to hire someone. And it still took me three months for a single hire because I wouldn't take second fiddle. If I'm going to have a great team, I got to have great people. After that, it was when they got on board, explaining to them both the mission and how they contributed. In other words, you've got to cast a vision for what the future looks like. And then you've got to tell people, here's how you fit into that vision. Here's how I want you to make a difference with us. So then there are two things here. One is, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm putting at once my, myself into both realities both the reality of an employer and both the reality of an employee coming in mm-hmm. you know, because both of them are shopping. Yes. And there, there's not one person shopping. Both people are shopping. And sometimes employees don't think they should be shopping, but they should doggone be shopping. I can tell you, I've walked into so many situations where I didn't shop because I didn't know how to shop. My wife is great at shopping. She, her mother taught her how to shop, but I'm telling you, and she knows how to shop. Okay. <laughs> I'm still learning, okay? But in terms of actually going into a situation, either whether it's an employee or an employer, I think there's some really important principles there that we're really looking for. I'm sure you've got them. I like, I like to, let's start with an employee coming in. How does an employee know what's going on? Okay, an employee wants to know why they're showing up. In other words, what is the big mission that we're trying to accomplish as an organization. We start off with that, because if you're not trying to make a difference in the world, then you're just there for the paycheck. You're just there for, you know, to make your uncle happy because he gave you a job or whatever the thing is, but you're not going to be contributing everything. If you don't have that, the next morning, if you as a leader don't give that to your staff, the next morning, they have the chance to hit the snooze button and to stay in bed or to get up excited. And there are some people who don't hit the snooze button but they might as well have because they're snoozing all the blank day. Pardon me for getting excited, but you're so right. What you're saying is, and what a lot of us see, is a person has to actually start from a position of a basic fundamental mission, philosophy, where are we going from here? And so what happens is if that person doesn't have a good mission, if that company doesn't have an acceptable mission, the whole system is lost. There's nothing filtered decisions through and you don't know if you're ever moving together to in the right direction. And you don't even know how to get together because you don't know where you're going. So that's really the first stuff is set that meaning for the team. What meaning are you given for your folks? And it could be you're in a large organization and you have a little team. Your team needs to really understand its meaning. Because let's be honest, if you're a therapist, you have a different kind of service than if you're a janitor or if you're in accounting, your team yeah. functions differently, but it's all important for the mission of the organization. So you need to be able to explain that for the team in relationship to the whole. Let's tease that apart a little more because it's such an interesting, worthwhile point. I mean, that is really, really excellent. And, and you know, some people I know have done that intuitively and some people absolutely don't want to do it because 
as leaders, they would be threatened by somebody thinking deeply about the evolution of the entire group when it's really me, 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 I'm a narcissist and I need to move this thing forward and I'm going to tell you what to do and I really don't want any doggone feedback. We've seen that. I've lived in that situation, I can tell you. But the issue then is there's no team play anyway. What are we doing here? Is the question of, okay, I'm going to be a dutiful, in fact, I'm going to be a lap dog for the boss. You know, just give me a bone and I'll hang around. There's no doubt about it. There's times that you strength when your boss asks you something to say. There's no one who can answer your question, but you can find someone to lie to you. And plenty of bosses will take any answer, even a lie. And if that's your case, I don't mean to be a downer, but you're never going to achieve greatness in that place. Not for yourself, not with that organization, not with that team anyway. And you're going to have to find a new home to dedicate your talents to. You know, we've got one life here. And I firmly believe that as individuals, we have so much to contribute. But if you're being held back, if you're not being told how to contribute, please do yourself a favor and find a way to contribute. Find a way to make things better. Even if your boss doesn't tell you. Oh, even if your boss doesn't tell you. (laughs) And the issue there, and always be aware, if you're going to be that assertive in terms of having a mission and a philosophy, your boss will not like you. That is the point. Because you're going to be a standout and your boss in his low self-esteem is going to be challenged by having a thoughtful, deep person downstream from him who doesn't just shut up and take orders. I would love to say that's not true, but you know it is. (laughs) But here's the thing. Good bosses, and there are good bosses, welcome that. Good leaders only want to hire that. So when we're talking about hiring team members, we want to find those people who have high self-esteem, someone who's going to bring their opinion and their true self to work. work. Mm -hmm. Someone who can say, this is what I believe. I don't understand why we're doing it that way. Yeah, yeah. Part of the question, though, is an organization, it's my belief that when you've got a mass of people there and you're bringing someone new in, almost all of them are just going to fit in with the crowd. They're going to go with what the current flow is. Mm -hmm. And if the current flow is tell the boss whatever they want, they're just going to have to go with the flow. So what you need to do is be incredibly careful to hire people who are willing to give, to be honest, hire people who are willing to give a little bit more, hire people who are willing to think, and then encourage that behavior until you've hired enough people and trained enough people and brought some of those old folks that are already there over to the new way of being a real contributor. You can do it, but don't think it's going to happen overnight. You know, this is so doggone interesting. I mean, I'm talking to you here and I'm thinking about how absolutely essential this material is. And I'm looking at your material that you set out here. And do you have a book out, Jeffrey? I don't have the book out yet. I'm busy writing it now. I've got a good co-author who's helped me shape it. I'm good at talking. He's good at writing it together. We're hoping it comes together. Well, it's going to come together. And listen, when you get it out, we'll come back again and we're going to summarize the book and we'll have another podcast with you because this is so relevant. Here's the important thing about it. You know this already. I'm really talking to our audience. You and I are on the same page immediately, okay? Mm -hmm. But I'm talking to our audience. I mean, I think there's a, we live in different levels of denial of reality, okay? So many people live in, and you don't have to be a complete narcissist, as I was talking about, to live in a denial about the reality of your relationship with human beings in a group. Yeah. It has moved us forward as human beings, as a race of animals. Like, we're like bee colonies. You know, we either work with the colony We don't work with the colony. You know, you don't work with the colony. It's real simple. The colony will kill you. They will kill you one way or another. They'll kill you by bad words. I would hate to be a spear hunting tribal guy in the age of mastodons because 
I'm telling you, if you didn't do what the team would want, they would just take you right out and kill you because you would not be working for them. You're off doing something with yourself. I mean, I, I think when it, more primitive times, and that still holds true even today with individuals who are treated that way. Go ahead, please. I want to spin off a couple of things you just said just now and earlier, and that is, you know, you've got the boss who's afraid of people. Sometimes the boss is just really busy and they don't take time for the team. Good but point. I think I think that sometimes the bosses get busy because they're afraid. Absolutely. It's not that it's all about themselves. It's that they want to be liked and they're not certain how to talk to the people. They're not certain how to share what's going on and how other people are doing. So they go with that human instinct. I must, the tribe must like me. And they're so focused on having their tribe, their people like them mm-hmm. that in Instead of saying, here's what I need you to do, here's clear expectations, and here's how you did against your expectation on this Mastodon hunt, we're so busy saying we want to be liked that we've abandoned our responsibility as leaders, and we just say, oh, I'm too busy for that. And that leads to the spiral, the cycle that only takes the team and the individuals down into some depths where now they're struggling to survive when they could be exceeding, they could be excelling, they could be achieving great things as an organization or as a group. But they don't have clear expectations and they don't have a leader who says, here's how you're doing against expectations. And they haven't been taught, here's how we teach each other and build a learning organization. These things all all fit together, but it takes a leader who's willing to say, I expect this and here's how you're doing. And you can do that with kindness. You can do that politely. If you are afraid that someone's not going to like you for telling them the truth, then you are doing everyone, everyone, everyone on the team, your bosses, your colleagues, your customers, a disservice. Well, and the wagon will roll over you, period. I mean, it is the nature of reality. If you keep trying to fake it in a team situation, human beings being what they are, they, it's transparent. The transparency will roll over you and the whole thing will turn to hell in a handbasket. Now, I want to bring one other thing up because while you're talking about these things so eloquently and so interestingly, what's occurring to me while we're talking about this is the whole issue of intimacy because the way you're talking to your example that you're using is an individual who is willing to risk intimacy, to risk rejection and to process the possibility of rejection are a difference of opinion. And there's a certain measure of intimacy that has to take place for those conversations to occur. Because if you're going to actually have somebody you're going to work with, you actually have to care enough about them to bring them along in some constructive way. Because if you can't bring them along, then what the hell are you guys all doing together in the first place? And I've had people get mad at me because they thought I should be doing something for them when they didn't tell me what to do in the first place. So, you know, it's like, it's crazy. It is. I want to springboard off of that to some research I ran across that I love. David Yeager led a team and they published this back in 2013 in the Journal of Experimental Psychology. And the study was about inner city youth and how they got the kids to give more. And the key phrase was, when giving feedback to the students, they would write on there, I'm giving you these comments because I have very high expectations and I know you can reach them. I know you can do it. I I use that same concept with my, basically, I have higher expectations for you than you have, and I know you can reach my high expectations. 
And I have found that when I am working with team members and I say, I know you think you can only be this good, I see in you even more. Let me give you some guidance, some feedback on what you're doing to help you achieve not your expectations, but my expectations that are even higher. And that when I do that, that they excel. They see my appreciation and concern, and then they achieve things they never did before. And you're right. That takes a level of intimacy. You've got to understand your people, and you've got to understand that if they give you feedback or comments on you, that it's just a different opinion. It doesn't mean you're a bad human being. Yeah, well, and to uh, being somewhat reductionistic, I hate the word reductionistic because I, I do overuse it, but to bring it down to even more perhaps operational terms, you're saying it so well, I don't want it to sound at all like I'm disagreeing with you or being negative about what you said, but just take it another step. The other step is the intimacy with a person is actually every one of those pronouncements from the research that Jaeger did originally is saying to another human being, I care about you. I mean, that is what they, that's what they're saying around the band. They're not saying it that emphatically, but that's what they're saying. Listen, I care about you. And in that context, I want you and I also care about what we're doing together. I care about you and I care about the outcome. And I think you can do this and you're showing so many positive things in a world that's so imbued, so tied up with the only way you bring somebody along is to kick their butt. Here's what you're doing wrong, buddy. You did this wrong and then you did this wrong. And as a leader, I just hate to tell you this. I mean, you know, but that's the way it is. You just got to, you know, you got to eat this and do something different. And we've seen that happen so often. There is. If I could bounce off of that, those leaders who just tell you when you've done something wrong, they tell you you've done something wrong, but they don't tell you what the expectation is, only that you failed. And I have to tell you, if you're in that situation, it's the leader who's failing. Leaders need to tell you both the expectation and then tell you how you're doing against that. Dr. Heidi Grant, who's with the Neuro Leadership Institute, said something last year that I love. And that is when you're in these kind of conversations, you've got to realize that first, this is me here, that first thing, people wake up and they want to do a good job. No one, well, I mean, there's a couple of sociopaths out there, but for the most part, everyone wants to have a good day and to contribute. So if you're a leader, you need to realize your people wake up, want to have a good day, want to contribute. So what you need to say is, I saw the specific action and you did a good job, here's a way to make it great. Or I saw this action and it was kind of a miss compared to the expectations. Why don't you refocus over here? And those two ways to look at things, what should I build upon? Where should I refocus? Yeah. That's Re- a great yeah. way for yeah. people to get that. Refocusing is not saying something negative. It's, a, it's a, adding a layer of direction and helpfulness without being critical. And then the other one, of course, is a straight adulation. You know, you're really doing this well. And you could take that to the next step or whatever. You Was yeah. that the first statement? Yeah. Well, first is you got to believe that people will have that word and that they're trying to do good. And the first statement is, what can I build upon? Like you said, it's that adulation. Mm-hmm. And the second one is, where should I refocus? Yeah. And what's really interesting about this, what the current research is showing is that if you can get your staff to ask each other those questions, merely by asking, they become more receptive to the answers. So I will ask my staff, if I leave a meeting with with the team member, I'll say, hey, how did I do today? And I will then go through those questions. And then I'll say, can I share the same with you? And they'll say, sure, boss. I'll say, well, ask me the questions. And I make them repeat the same questions. What can I build upon? Where should we focus? Because they've asked, it opens their neural pathways, so they want to listen. 
and I am happy to use their brain against them every chance I can get because I believe in them. I'm looking forward to reading your I will book. Say, this is good stuff, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, the very best teams I've seen, they build a culture where they talk to each other this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're well, on a regular basis. They, I'm they ask, ask those you questions of each other. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. You're, you're doing such a good job. I'm enjoying listening to you, and I'm looking at the time. We do have to take a break, but here's what I'm going to ask you when we get back. Because we're talking about a lot of really super constructive material that can be used on a grade school level with kids in a classroom. I mean, you know, you, you, it has pervasive application. One of the things we try and do at Core Brain Journal, and I'm so happy. I kind of thought this would be where you'd be because you're already thinking about teams. And, and we so much, our whole group, our audience and ourselves, we want to see the evolution of humankind. We want to see people evolve and grow from whatever they can do to the next level as opposed to what's wrong, this is wrong, that's wrong. Now, we sometimes get a little bit uh, polemic about what's wrong in psychiatry, but we do try to provide answers. <laughs> you know, look, hey, guys, if this data is here, let's just take a look at it. It's there and it's valid. Let's just take a look at it. But the thing I want to ask you, which is a little more on a personal note, we'll take a brief break. And the question really is what you have experienced on a personal level were some of the most difficult, challenging, whatever, circumstances that were, in fact, transformational in your practice that said, okay, I've got this guy here, and this is, I'm doing this, and this is right, but the, no, hey, this is just not going to work. I've got to slice this pie differently. If you, anything comes together like that, I'll, I'll ask you about that. We'll just take a break right now. We'll come back in just a moment. Today, the world of mind, science, psychiatry, and mental health is rapidly changing with innovative, comprehensive testing that takes both patients and practitioners into a new world of measured details with useful, understandable, and remarkably actionable plans. The key phrase here is cost-effective. Testing also introduces a key parallel word, predictability. Psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medications and our brief hospitalizations, arises directly from the complexity of measurable brain-body imbalances and impediments that explicitly interfere with medical outcomes and create costly difficulties with inadequately informed supplement and medication trials over time. Great Plains provides a leadership team of biomedical experts with advanced laboratory insights approved nationally both by the FDA and CLIA laboratory certifications and is available internationally for both public and medical professionals. Great Plains Laboratory is the primary laboratory we've used at CoreSite for years with excellent customer service for both patients and medical colleagues. They are on the spot, they get it every time. In addition, they provide exemplary training modules, which are webinars and conferences, in an effort to broaden practice perspectives wherever you live. Do follow up on one of these complimentary test offers today at http greatplainslaboratory.com forward slash cbj yeah that's core brain journal cbj well thank you jeffrey davidson for coming in to talk to our audience and me today here because a lot of what you're saying is affirming but you're adding some really helpful practical useful and extremely relevant ways to grow i mean it's just like it's so commonsensical in one way and yet so 
frequently avoided for all the reasons that we've been talking about. So, but Jeffrey, what I want to ask you about, we talked about briefly, is I think one of the things that's so important about conversations like this is, first of all, I respect you as a person. You're doing a heck of a good job talking to me. I just, it's great talking to a guy like you. It's a privilege for me. But I want to also look at the next situation is, what was transformational for you? Because you're just like the rest of us. You hit some spots where, you know, some AA spot in the road. We don't, we probably have a few spots like I do, but a transformational spot where you said, okay, I'm, I'm going this way and I got to do it another way. And you had some edification, some, some transformational moment there. Could you share and you have something like that that comes to mind? Sure. You know, the first, there's a little example, then the real transformation. The little example is when I was in my teens and twenties, if I could get a job interview, I could get the job offer because I learned how to work the person on the other side of the desk. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I thought, and I want to get through this and find the best people, not just the person who's good at being interviewed. I knew I could change myself and learn more about interviewing people. Then as a leader, I realized that there were a lot of people out there. And when I was talking with them, I was afraid to talk to them. I didn't know how to talk to them. I give them feedback And in the end, I was apologizing for their bad behavior. There was all kinds of things I did as the leader. (laughs) Yeah, It just didn't work. So as a result, I went out there and I'm like, hey, how do I look at this more constructively? How do I make a difference? How do I tell people when they're not hitting the mark without being afraid that they're going to like me or afraid that they're going to go postal or anything else. So I went through my own journey of discovery to say, let's try different things. Let's figure out how to have a conversation between the two of us. Mm-hmm. And that's where it really started was me thinking I have failed and I've got to get better at this or I'm never going to hit my next level. And out of that, now you folks can't see this because we're not video recording. We're doing audio. So I get a chance to talk to Jeffrey and we're just two guys. Uh, talking to each other across the, the airwaves. I, I, I don't even know what town you're in, Jeffrey. Where are you located? Dallas, Texas, my friend. Down, down, down Dallas, Texas. You don't have a Texas accent. That's, but I tell you, a lot of people have the personality down in Texas that you do. I mean, just some really nice people down there. But anyway, back to it. Behind Jeffrey is a phrase that I asked him about before we got on, which is relevant to what we're talking about right now, which is feedback jujitsu. And You know, one of the things I'm thinking about, because I had the same problem you did in my life, because, you know, when you come up to an actual leadership, when you're executive medical director of a psychiatric hospital, when everybody's running around analyzing everybody else at every single move, the paralysis of analysis is like unbelievable. It's a buzzy, buzzy, gossip-filled place, and everybody's watching everybody. But the bottom line is there was a certain thing that really helped me out a great deal, and it was martial arts. So I got mm-hmm. into martial arts. I was into martial arts for a long time. And uh, I don't do it right now. I just got away from it. But the bottom line is there are two big things that happened to me in martial arts. Number one is if you, you do learn how to get hit and come back. You know, that getting hit is not a death knell. It doesn't kill you. And I got hit a lot. I can tell you that. So once you get hit a few times, <laughs> then you're in a different place because that's not going to keep you from doing what you have to do. And then the other thing was this whole guy, this philosophy of a guy that had a whole thing called the sword of no sword. Basically, you know, you don't think about the sword. You think about the outcome. You're not going to draw the sword to you because in a sword fight, if you start thinking about the other guy's sword, it's going to come and take your head off. And uh, that guy's name was Teshimaru. But anyway, 
So there's a certain thing in martial arts that does happen that's a reality that can be a constructive reality. And I would appreciate as we're winding down here a little bit, if you talk about this interface that you have regarding the jujitsu and that kind of concept in terms of back and forth. I'd be happy to talk a little bit more of that. And the truth is we've already teased it. The first is you need to go in with the mindset we talked about. Your people have worth. Your people want to contribute. They need to know how. So if you paint the picture, if you cast the vision for them about where you're going as an organization, as a team, then they have the chance to buy in and they have the chance to get involved. So that's the first thing. The mm -hmm. second is you need to be clear about your expectations because if you want to give critical input on how they're doing, but they never heard the expectations in the beginning, what are you even talking about? Why right. did you open your mouth? Right. So first is understand the vision through that filter of where you're going, set clear expectations, and then build a culture where it's okay to talk about our performance. Realizing that just like in martial arts or boxing, you can get hit and it's not the end of the world. If I tell you that you didn't hit the mark, it doesn't mean I hate you. It just means you can do better. Go off there tomorrow and try it again. <laughs> so building that culture is really important. From there, there's some specific moves that you need to make though in this feedback thing. First is timing. If they do something today, you can't throw a punch in a month. It doesn't make sense. They've already moved yeah. on. Yeah. Timing is critical. Absolutely. And basically, if you see something, say something, you're looking for same day. You might be able to get away with tomorrow, but next week doesn't exist. So it's too long. That's the first one. The next one is be specific. Talk about in this context, you did this particular action. And here was the result. Is that what you were aiming for? Because I was hoping for a different result myself. Let's talk about what, where you were aiming. Let's talk about where I wanted you to aim. And now we can have a conversation about a particular context and a particular behavior. What kind of result are we going to get from different behaviors? And if you make it really concrete, you can have this conversation, by the way, in less than two minutes. You can say, hey, in the meeting today, when you said this and this and this, I saw four people in that room just light up with a smile. You need to keep talking that way. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. And you walk on. That's critical information that they know, need to know so that they keep on doing the right stuff. That is so and, true. Well, it's just that too often we save all these things up, we forget the details, and we dump it on people in some review process. Oh, well, that's worthless. It's like getting a puppy who loves you. And when you walk in the door, they're so excited they pee on the floor. And three months later, you give the puppy a review. It's not going to do any good. <laughs> Well, and I think the other thing, which I'm just saying this, you know this, I'm not saying this to you because you're, you're a very skillful at it. You got a great skill set beyond my skill set on this, and I appreciate listening to you. But the other thing I found out in my leadership role is the relevance of uh, critical marks in private. You know, what happens is so many say public praise, you just did it. You were an example of it right there. That's what made me think of it. Public praise, private criticism. You know, so many people who are in leadership positions think, okay, now I'm just going to call you out right here in front of everybody, and that's going to be constructive, and it's going to keep me as a boss in some, you know, and I've had very intelligent, good people completely freak out in public and completely innocuous situation when you're actually trying to help them out. It's amazing, and they then say whatever they're going to say, you know, and, and that whole thing of what you just exemplified was really great because you said, look, Here's something that was really done well that was very excellent, and people really love that. So that whole private public yeah. thing. Go ahead. Sorry. 
It is. And I agree with you. I think that as a leader, my thought is anything in public should be to build up or to train. Mm-hmm. And any corrective action, I want to take that to a hallway or to an office, someplace where other people aren't overhearing. Yeah. And here is something important. There are times that you want to give someone feedback and say, hey, can I give you some input? And they might say, I am full up. My water pipe burst this morning in the house. I just got a text message about my Aunt Irma and she's going to the hospital. Can this wait? You can honor that request. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the best ways to do that is to say, hey, I want to give you some feedback on this. Why don't you pick a time? And that way they know that you're going to do it. You're still in control. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you've given them some ownership and some agency about yeah. how they're going to receive it. So true. Excellent point. And then the other thing you can say humorous guy that you are with a sparkle in your eye, you could say, well, all I want to do is just take a moment to compliment you on the way you handle that meeting today. And that's it. You know, that was an outstanding job. I can't believe how you handled, which was a very difficult thing because everyone's being negative and you spun it in such a constructive way that everybody came out of there refreshed. I just wanted to thank you for doing such a good job. I love it. You know, I once called someone to and said, hey, can I give you some feedback? And that word is so loaded. Yeah, that that's... We go into the hallway, we find some chairs, we spend five minutes out there, and he goes, wait, wait, wait a minute, Jeffrey. Are you telling me all positive things? Can you start over? I wasn't listening. I couldn't hear anything you said. He was so sure it was negative. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't hear the compliments. Well, this is what happened to me. You'll get a kick out of this. So I had this guy that I was helping him out, you know. And I was trying to tell him constructively, here's something that you did. And here's what I observed with people, how their reaction was to you. And I was talking to him privately. It was critical. I said, you really want to get along. And the guy that's paying your, your salary was offended by the way you were handling yourself in that meeting. And, and I just wanted to give you some feedback. And the reason he was offended is because you were being disrespectful of the group process at that moment. And it was, it was counterproductive. He said, Parker, you're mad at me. He says, I know you probably have a problem with your mother, something like that. (laughs) Are you struggling for control? Some kind of asinine, and I'm taking my time. I didn't have to take that time to give him feedback like that. But I said, look, you are completely off. I said, here's the deal. You don't understand the principle of respect, okay? I am respecting you in talking to you. I have an affirmative feeling that you're going to get this and you can go with it. But by you doing what you did, you were disrespectful to the organization. And the way you're dealing with me right now and assuming and psychoanalyzing me and all this other is disrespectful to me. I think you need to think about respect and disrespect. That's going to be a good one. And the fact that I do care about your progress and, you know, I basically was doing the same thing that you were talking about. But it was interesting how he tried to psychoanalyze me to get the whole thing. Same way I think about that sitting in a chair where they don't really know how to take it. Funny. It is. I do want to say that feedback when you're not ready, and even if you're ready, is a gift. When someone gives you a gift at the holiday, someone gives you a gift, what you do is you say thank you. And when someone gives you feedback, whatever you think about it, you just say thank you. Now, some gifts are precious. You go around, you tell your friends, you take a picture, you put it on Facebook. (laughs) You love this gift. Yeah. Some gifts are an ugly sweater from Aunt Edna, and you hide it in the back of the drawer way down low in that room you never go to. Yeah, right. You don't have to accept the gift and do anything with it. Just say thank you and move on. Jeffrey, I hate to find wind up this conversation. It's been so much fun talking. We only have a couple minutes left. And listeners, I want to direct you to Jeffrey Davidson. He is a leader 
team builder guy. And what we're going to do as we close is we're going to have Jeffrey tell us where you can get in contact with him. This is what he does professionally. And you can see why. He's intuitive. He's fun. He's quick. And he's intelligently insightful about the way we human beings get stuck in our own little uh, morass of uh, misperceptions. So, Jeffrey, tell us where we can reach you. And by the way, we're going to have you come back. I'm going to tell you that right now. But go ahead and tell us where we can reach you and how we're going to go down the road with that. I try to make it simple. Like almost everyone, I've got a website. And my website is greatteamsltd.com. Great Teams Limited. That's what it means. Greatteamsltd.com. And just for listeners, I've got a couple of free resources. I don't need your email address. I don't need to know who you are. You can just take these tools and use them to help you and your team get a little better. So greatteamsltd.com slash more. Download them, try them, use them with your team. And if you want to contact me, my email's on there, my phone number's on there, my Twitter handle's on there. Reach on out. I'd love to talk with you. But even if you don't want to talk, go out there, take these resources, and start working to make your teams great because you can accomplish more when your team is working together. Jeffrey, I love the way you're talking about the whole thing. Folks, I'm going to say it one more time because he said it kind of quickly and we're under a little pressure here, but I'm going to say great teams, plural, limited, ltd.com. And the point was forward slash more. You want to go to that forward slash more because that's where he has some downloads and some things and ways to free resources to you. And we really appreciate, you know, Jeffrey, you coming on talking to us here at Core Brain Journal. And I, I, you know, we'll, we'll talk after we hang up here, but I, we, do, we do need to have you back. This is very good information, very helpful, and we really appreciate you taking the time. So you have a good one, Jeff. Chuck, it's been a delight. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Core Brain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because, as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive, misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications, like those written for ADHD, are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.